Welcome back to A Better Love. I'm your host, Dr. Greg, joined by Elisa Bokun today to talk about couples therapy in the Black and Latinx community. Elisa, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me here. You got it. You got it. Elisa is a marriage and family therapist. She's a sex ther- certified sex therapist and also the founder of Melanin and Mental Health. Uh, before we dive into anything specific, I'd love for our audience just to get to know you a little bit. I've been following your work on Instagram and elsewhere for a little bit, but share a little bit about what your primary work is this these days. And it might be with Flow and Ease Healing Center, but why don't you just share a little bit about that with us? Yeah. Uh, and I've also been following your work for quite some time since that Psychology Today article went viral. And I was so happy that everything you were saying was kind of echoing what so many of us were saying. So, so happy to be here. The Flow and Ease Healing Center is my private practice in Houston, Texas. And it really is a safe space that I've created for Black and Brown folks to come to therapy, work on their relationships, work on having more equitable relationships, more pleasurable relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, so I help people kind of remove some of the blocks, including trauma, you know, outdated beliefs, any history that might be blocking them from having that relationship that they really long for today. And then my work with melanin and mental health, I know we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that really sort of um, was sparked by our need, you know, to find more clinicians that look like us. Yes. So my business partner and I, uh, Ebony Harris, um, we created this melanin and mental health as a way to connect our community, the Black and Latinx community, with therapists from our from our field. Absolutely. And we will we're going to dive into that a little bit more in a moment. But basically, you're it sounds like you're working with a lot of couples and also individuals as well. Yeah. we, I, I asked this of all my guests, how does love show up in the work that you do or you know, how you came to this work in the first place? I love this question. I really do, because I think love is at the root of everything that we do, really. And it, I mean, it really shows up in the work that I do because it, love is not only showing up between two people, but it shows up in the relationship that we have with ourselves. And I think the people that I see, because I work with a lot of, I do work with a lot of individuals. I work with a lot of black and brown women individually. I work with a lot of couples and they're coming in and they want love or they're trying to figure out why can't they have the love that they imagine. And they're also having to unlearn what they think Mm. love is. Mm. That's what really, really trips us up is we have these um, this idea that Hollywood has sold us about what love is. Okay. I might be sold on that. So what, what, yeah, what is <laughs> that? I, I call it the Jerry Maguire syndrome okay. where you're looking for someone to complete you. Mm. And that's not what love is. Right. I'm like, that's codependency, right? Like that's a sign that we still have to do our healing work to show up fully to a relationship and also understanding that love is action, that it's, a, mm. that it's, the way we show up when the fun stuff of the beginning of a relationship, the mm-hmm. Hollywood version of love mm-hmm. starts to fade. Love is what keeps us showing up. I was thinking recently uh, before our episode today about a, a client, two clients that I worked with and back in Boston when I, I'm in LA now, but I was in Boston a little bit ago. Uh, they were a Cuban American couple and one had just uh, come to the States and there were two things that came up that actually made me uh, transfer this client to a Spanish-speaking clinician who's also more culturally consistent with them. And one of them was language 
bear that came up, which was seemed obvious to me. And I, and, but the other was an interesting thing. The guy had this idea, and he talked about it often in therapy about love. And he would say to me, "Now I do Gottman method, which is very action oriented." To your point about love being action, and he would say to me, "If she loved me, she would just do this. Like if she, yeah. I would just know that she would love me." And it wasn't like attached to specific behaviors or actions. And I'm just I'm curious: is there are there cultural uh, variables here in terms of the way we even conceptualize love in the first place? Definitely culture, race our family background, like the microcosm of which in which we were raised of what we, what we, how we define love. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of the work that I do. Why I do a big part of the work that I do is because as a woman who is a Latina, right? Like I'm, uh, I was raised to believe that love was self-sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I was raised to believe that love was doing for everyone, everyone else, and you put your needs to the side, like you don't matter. And your needs don't matter you if they're on a list, if they're even on the list or at the very bottom. But you being a good woman, you loving somebody means that you are a martyr. Really, mm, mm. Boils down to. And so that's why I say I think a lot of what, you know, redefining what love is in a way that is more equitable and that it's a space in which we can all grow mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. like that we can all grow um i think is is that's why i loved your article so much yeah you spoke when you spoke about this gap i think between you know especially in in heterosexual relationships between men and women and how women we've had to really evolve past our gender roles just to survive mm -hmm. um and I feel like a lot of the, the men are having to catch up now, but there's this gap that's created now. And we're redefining what love means because before it was, you know, stay together forever and your bills are paid and they don't beat you and they're, you know, not, you know, on some sort of substance abuse. That's love. What else do you mm -hmm. want? Mm -hmm. There's so much more. Yeah, absolutely. The standards is much higher, which is a good thing. I think for all of us, women specifically, uh, much harder out there for us guys, specifically in this context that you build out, which is not too dissimilar to, for instance, the Portuguese culture as well, particularly around women and with like the selflessness and the service and all this other stuff. That's a lot of work that you know, uh, historically women were doing to manage to keep the relationship going that men didn't even weren't even thinking about it. And still to this to this day, we're still trying to grapple with and trying to figure out what is what is the act of taking the initiative of planning or thinking ahead or carrying the, the cognitive load. But uh, do, you, do, do you find that the women that you work with struggle with putting down the cognitive load or emotional labor and like leaning on their partners a little bit more? 100%, especially yeah. because the, the women that I primarily work with are black and brown women. So black women have, are also, you know, in many ways raised in the same way to just do it all by yourself, figure it all out, very similar to how brown women are, are raised. Um, and what I have found is it's hard to even not just kind of take it all on. Mm -hmm. um, and the struggle is, I think a lot of it has to do also with trusting that your partner is going to pick it up. Yes. Right? Like trusting that if I don't do it, somebody else will. Yes. Um, so absolutely. I think 
I hear a lot this conversation about women um, not trusting or not allowing themselves. And we have to be able to trust that our partners are going to lead us in a direction that's going to be in favor for both of us. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, I think everyone, we have so much unlearning to do about relationships. I think we're the first generation that really has the opportunity to couple up with somebody out of just emotional, like for necessities of emotional Mm -hmm. growth versus Mm -hmm. just financial stability. Yeah, it's a brave new world out there. Yeah. We're we're constructing it together. So that's and a good it's deal. Scary. It's, it's scary. very scary for it's a lot of people. We're having to figure it out as we go. That's why it's so hard also. Yeah, I found in the work that I've done is it's happening at an idiosyncratic level. you know, couple to couple. Yes. Uh, another couple that I'm thinking about right now, we're a heterosexual couple where the wife is asking, you know, I want you to be more of a leader and make decisions and all this other stuff. And so there's this balancing act around masculinity and that that piece too, which I'm sure um, black and brown men uh, uh, are probably trying to navigate and figure out themselves on how to balance both those those things. Yeah, that's that other term that I keep hearing a lot about that I think is often misused, this okay. idea of masculine energy and feminine energy. Okay, I'm dying to hear about this, man. Yes. Yeah. No, like, I think a lot of the times people will refer to this idea of masculine or fe- masculine energy or feminine energy as being something gender specific. Mm-hmm. When really, if we look at what it's about, it's about giving and receiving right? Mm -hmm. The masculine energy, we all have masculine and feminine energy Mm -hmm. because we all give and receive, right? And so I think for a lot of women in particular is trying to learn how to receive, how to be in what they call the feminine energy, Mm -hmm. which again, I think what that opens the door for is a lot of these gender stereotypes and all those conversations, but we're missing the point is that when I think of anything, any type of disease, any type of issues, even within a relationship or a life, I think about balance, I'm very much rooted in like the indigenous perspective of anything can be medicine, anything can be poison. And so when we're talking about the masculine and the feminine energy, it's about, am I always giving, 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 doing, 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 doing? Do I even know how to be open and vulnerable and trust to be able to receive? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that, you know, men, especially cisgender men, heterosexual men are trying to figure that out. Also, what it means to be more in what we call the feminine energy mm-hmm. or just their ability to also be able to um, tap into more of these what's been historically called, you know, girl type of, you know, yeah. raised in a way that's like, oh, don't that that's what girls do or that's what boys do. To be able to tap into their emotions, to identify their emotions, to also be able to show their vulnerabilities, because I think that's the other part of the conversation that we have to include is it's different for everybody. And so we may say we want to see our partners show up in that way, but then when they do, it's different. And it's like, I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like vulnerability and the nurturing coming from a man, if it's relatively new. It's going to be yeah. like a little confusing, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but we have so much to, you know, we have so much work, I think, because we are really trying to build a different type of relationship. But what I see happening is a lot is 
we want to hold on to a lot of what we believed our parents, grandparents made, uh, you know, a successful relationship for mm-hmm. them. I'll often hear, well, my grandparents were together for 50 years. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not impressed when I, <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean by that is like that alone doesn't yeah. tell me that sure. that was a great relationship. Because I tell people, I mean, you can do 50 years in prison. That doesn't mean that it's quality, you know, time well spent. Mm-hmm. It's just time spent. But what was that relationship like? And why did they stay together? And we don't always, again, maybe have the insight about what happens in, in couplehood. Sure, sure. From our parents, definitely. Because they probably didn't know what was going on themselves. They didn't. They were <laughs> by what they were told also. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're talking about uh, black and brown community, the BIPOC community. Um, and I'm looking at some recent data. You know, one data point, only one in three black adults in the United States who need mental health care actually access it. My understanding is that's relatively a similar scene in the Latinx community and other mm-hmm. ethnic minorities. Why did you start? You start talking about this a little bit, but melanin and mental health. Tell us a little bit of why, why you launched it, what it does, what your mission is. Yeah, this is why we launched it, honestly. So um, I met my business partner, Ebony Harris, who's also a clinician, and we met on social media. I always joke that I slid in her DMs. <laughs> <laughs> I slid in her DMs networking because a lot of the times when people will come to my website and they want to work with me, it's because of what I look like. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, she's going to be re- able to relate to me in some mm-hmm. way. And I can't work with everyone. I don't, you know, whatever. I can't work with everyone. So I always want to know who I'm referring to. And so when we met up, that was the first conversation. It's like, where are all the other black and brown mm-hmm. uh, therapists so that we can connect? From there, um, I had started Melanin Mental Health as a social media account. Okay. I that year I had told myself, I'm whatever inspiration comes up, I'm gonna follow it. And I'm not gonna question it. And the name kind of came to me in the shower, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and Great. Great I'm name. gonna create this account, put mental health um content out there, talk speaking to our communities and see what happens. And it just blew up. Mm-hmm. Um so from there, Ebony and I being business-minded women, we're like, you know, I think it would be great to have a sort of directory of sorts, kind mm-hmm. of like some of the ones that are already out there, but geared specifically to people who want people from our communities. And yes. that's how we started. Because to your point of one in three folks getting it, a lot of the times I hear this idea that there's this stigma in Black and Brown communities around mental health. And I really take issue with the word stigma Mm. because stigma implies that it's an unfair belief. Mm. When the reality is just like the medical field, the mental health field has, has really created a lot of harm, has done a lot of harm towards black and brown communities. Um, You know, black, black children, especially are are more likely to be misdiagnosed, right? Mm. Trauma overlooked. Um, if you're thinking about people from my community who maybe don't have documentation and there's fear of going to the mental health field, tests that have been done, you know, all kinds of harm that has been done against our communities. So is it really an unfair belief yeah. to go there? Um, and we really saw this in 2020 when there was all, you know, we had the pandemic, we had all of the sort of um 
the police and, and George Floyd and all that. And we started to hear more of the conversations of our white colleagues that they were mm. having mm. about not bringing race into the therapy room, um, about their own beliefs. And it really kind of surfaced what we already had believed before, but we were starting to see it, is that so many people are misinformed. And so like our communities don't feel safe. And that includes, in other words, uh, professionals, Absolutely. marriage and family therapists, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, everybody in the field that bring in our own biases and things, yes. And, and the fact that there is, you know, racism is an ugly thing. It's an uncomfortable topic, but it shows up in the therapy field also. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of why our communities are also struggling with mental health is because we have these unique stressors that other communities don't face, right? Like just to, you know, I have a a, a son who is, you know, brown skinned. And I worry about him when he leaves. I, I I pray that if he gets pulled over, he's going to be okay. Something that maybe who's not from our communities is not going to deal with that same level of fear. Yeah. So I take issue with the idea of the stigma mm-hmm. um, because it's not an unfair sort of assessment to access to it yes. is difficult, right? I'm lucky I'm in um, the Houston area. So there's more folks there's more um selection there's more options in the city yeah yeah but there may not be where somebody somewhere else is from um and the other thing is you know our communities it's not that we don't want healing there i have a colleague who lives in austin he's wonderful uh, dr manuel samaripa and he he said something one time and he said you know therapy is ours Mm-hmm. And I was like, what, is, what does that mean? He's like, mm-hmm. our communities have always sought out the counsel of an elder. Mm-hmm. We have always done that. We didn't call it therapy, but we have always done that. And so Melanin and Mental Health was really there to educate our communities, to give them access, to show them, hey, therapists like us, like we exist also and we're there and therapy may not be what you think it's going to be like. Remember the show Frasier? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's show. coming back, I think, actually. I'm married to back. <laughs> Is that right? Season. Yeah, a new season, yeah. Yeah, so we wanted to let them know, like, we're out here also because our communities need the support. Yeah, do you think there's been a change in your experience of the last, you've been doing this for a minute. Has there been a shift or a change in terms of uh, more brown and black providers, more you know, good match and compatibility? Yeah. And what have you seen from your from the organizational standpoint? Absolutely. So we started back in 2017 is okay. when we started Melanin Mental Health. And I would say just even within these last six years, especially the way uh, they show up on social media, mm-hmm. right? Like, so started to see a lot more people from our communities talking about mental health, talking about going to therapy. Um, I see it like even with, celebrities, right? Like celebrities are still people, but they're having the conversations. So that was part of what we wanted to do with Melanin Mental Health, you know, is to talk about therapy in a way that we would talk about going to the spa, that we talk about going to brunch. So we have sayings, you know, like therapy is dope, self-care is sexy, right? Yeah, self-care is sexy. It is, it absolutely is. And so, again, just making it more relatable. And I do, I've seen a great shift, even 
within our own friendship circles. You know, I think maybe 10 years ago, you might kind of hide the fact that you go to therapy. And now we're exchanging, you know, conversations about what my therapist said and, you know, what, what kind what are you, what are you working on? And I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. And I also know we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Long, there is a lot of work to be done across the board in general. How is, we've been talking about therapy in general, but what about couples therapy specifically? What, what kind of things come up around experiences for people of color, at least in your own experiences, what you've researched with couples therapy specifically, like, are there are there culturally attuned models and methods out there or what, what are your, what's your take on that? So I rely a lot. I, I really lean into emotionally focused therapy and really helping people to get to kind of the heart of what's going on below sort of the content of the conversation. What I see is again, this really kind of trying to, to redefine what it means to be a couple. Mm -hmm. What it means, for example, like within my community, um, more folks like me, more women like me, where I don't want to self-sacrifice the way my mother did, yes. my grandmother did. And so what does that mean to my counterparts who are still sort of expecting that? Right? Yeah. So it's like this, not only this fight to figure out what's right for us, you know, within our couple, but really redefining what it means to be in a relationship. I think the questioning of those things before, it's kind of like, well, why are we questioning it? It worked. Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. worked before, or that's just the way it's supposed to be. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. You're supposed that to be doing the dishes and all the laundry, right? Is that what it's right. oh, Gosh, yeah. And I also just think it's, I, I will say, I think for men, just not even being aware like, I really do feel for y'all also. Because... All right. Thank you for your empathy. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah, because you were raised to also expect this stuff. You were raised to believe that just go to work and make a living and, mm -hmm. you know, like that that was supposed to be enough and maybe not. And of course, not all men, I'm generally speaking. Sure. I think not even giving the skills or the tools to show up differently. And so now kind of having to start from here. And that's that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, I I, I see some men who are kind of resisting that. Mm -hmm. And I see some men who are trying to, okay, but like, I'm kind of fumbling through this. Like, how do we do this? Yeah. Um, so I would say more than anything, because depending on our culture and depending on our race, there's very fixed ideas of what it means to be. And this is particularly to heterosexual relationships. Sure. But I think even beyond just heterosexual relationships, what it means to love somebody, what it means to be loyal to somebody. Mm. Now, loyalty is a big one, I guess, particularly in a, if there's a history in one's own existence of there not being consistency around attachment and, you know, those those figures in our life either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the, the problem here is that a lot of the research we have on couples therapy is done with you know, heterosexual Caucasian That's couples, right. basically, Gottman method included, um, which is the, the primary modality that I use. Um, EFT is amazing, though. Cheers to EFT. <laughs> These are the two modalities that we support here at Better Love Project. So it's a Good. big deal. I, I guess I want to speak to this real quick is this loss of an ideal that wasn't ideal to begin with that men may be experiencing right now. Like there's a little bit of a grief process here. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I saw my mother or maybe, you know, take care of my father in a certain way. And 
And now there's all this unknown thing, stuff that I need to do. And this idea of like, am I not doing enough is a real deal. Like it's a hard thing to get over that, that idea, this fairness or equity that you were talking about in a way that, that a guy wouldn't experience being attacked or something. But it's really the cultural, you're saying, it's really the cultural societal expectations about relationships in general. I think it's both, right? Yeah. I think it's both. I think it's just taking for granted that the beliefs that were taught to us are true and not really even questioning whether or not that works for us now, whether that works for our relationship. And again, I think it's, I don't think that we talk enough about how relationships, how love really is also here to challenge us to grow beyond what we know, mm. right? Like the goal being like, let's create a relationship that evolves with us, that, that evolves with us. And, 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 and if we are evolving be, be beyond these stereotypes, you know, that's forcing us to, to really look at ourselves and each other. And what I, I always tell people, you know, your relationships can go one of three ways. Mm. ideally we're going to grow in the same direction maybe at different speeds but never too far apart from one another mm. that's the ideal the other is that one person starts to grow in this direction and then this person says what are you doing you're ruining a good thing we're, we're in a nice comfortable bubble here stay back here yeah so this person really kind of shrinks and kind of holds back and this is the perfect breeding round ground for resentment mm. and then there's the there's the option where people grow apart sure and so i i don't know that especially i can speak to you know like from my community where again it was a very fixed idea of for women that you just be happy with what you have just be happy with having somebody take care of you i use that in quotes um, financially take care of your, you're expected to have children, take care of them. Um, and then just do, do, do like your joy is in serving. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, and I see that celebrated so often. I went to a funeral of a woman one time and I just remember sitting there and just hearing everybody get up. She had died of cancer and everybody's getting up and she was such a good woman. She never complained. She mm. never complained. She never complained. She was going through all this and she never complained. And mm. I'm like, she, she should have complained. She deserved to complain, you know? And, and so I, I, I just could feel like my body just <laughs> because I know that they were like, this is a great thing, but this is what's killing us. Yes, that we don't speak up and we're taught that complaining or asking for help is a bad thing and be quiet and suffer in silence you know you're celebrated yeah yeah there's some kind of judeo-christian thing going on i think maybe too just in center i mean i just yeah, i grew up catholic and there is this Same. this underlying <laughs> right about sacrifice like that's really the ultimate thing so i don't know why that doesn't you know uh translate to men i don't know but anyway well, uh, the patriarch yes yes <laughs> yes Maybe some of those ideas of love too, that would be nice. Well, 
Well, and I think, I think, you know, men being maybe the way they sacrifice had to do more with physical and mm-hmm. labor and being the taking on the stress of providing and just doing, you know, for your family. So it messes with both of us. It messes, it messes with all of us, really. And again, I think we're just kind of at this point in time where in so many areas, but especially in love. And I'm, and yes, I see it in the couples therapy and I see it because people so want to hold on to what our comfort zones are, Mm. even if it's painful, even if we're struggling, but it's what we know. Yeah. So can we do like, can we stay in this comfort zone and make that work? Is kind of becomes the question, right? It's like, I don't want it to hurt. No, you can't do that. Um, I, yeah, I was thinking about an interview I did with Dr. Chris Marsh, who's a sociologist. She wrote a book, uh, Love Jones Cohort, mm-hmm. and she was telling us about the fact that there's, at least in the cohort that she was looking at, a lot of single Black women, middle class specifically, so there's an economic component to this, uh, were quite happy being single. And I just even today, I was reading another article in the New York Times which is basically saying the things that you and I are talking about right now about uh, women and having financial dependence and all these other things. Is there some truth to, based on your own experience, your work with clients, et cetera, in the Latinx community, is there some truth to this idea that there is, and this might be contentious, but she said it in the book, that there was a, <laughs> there was a even more limited pool of eligible partners and in the in that community what's your thought on that and there's there's by the way there's there's a lack of eligible partners for all of us i think (laughs) me included maybe but um but what is your thought on that in general yeah these are the women that i work with day in and day out it's absolutely what i see in my private practice and even within my own girlfriend group right Mm -hmm. where um these women who are just phenomenal like they're educated they're great friends they're great at relationships they're intelligent they're beautiful all of the things yeah. and they're like the dating pool is trash yeah you know I, fire. yeah and i really think it has to do with the unwillingness to maybe settle in the way that the previous generations have okay yes you know again before there weren't those options i really feel like there was this point in time and i don't have the data to support it but this is i'm gonna let dr matos you know i got you i got you where women had to evolve beyond our gender role right where we had to also become educated and provided so we had to be forced to kind of evolve past that in order to survive and like i said before but men not so much until now so there's this gap Yes. There is this gap. And and what I see with these women who have just they have figured all that other stuff up and they just want partnership. I just want a partner. I want a companion, but I'm also not willing to disturb my peace. Yeah, I'm that's a- that's a tough <laughs> trick. Like what? I don't know. Yes. The pendulum has swung, you know. Has. Yeah. I don't know if it's I- if it's hard if it's swung enough or too much what, what's your thought uh, right like right now as we sit here thinking my about thought it. is that i don't know if it's going to sort of swing to the balance end within our generation no, we'll be dead. that's the conversation that i hear a lot also is yeah. i may just have to come to terms with staying single 
Yeah. And I, and, and, and that's kind of, again, like a lot of the work that I do with, with the women is they'll say, I have this very rich life and I may just have to come to terms with, I may not have a partner. I may not get married. And, and so I see more and more women kind of looking at that very real possibility and figuring out, okay, how do I continue to build this really fruitful, rich life and be okay with that? Yeah. And maybe there are men in there who are just friends, who knows? But there's, you know, I think I think about this reality that we're talking about, at least I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the idea that so much of our value, particularly, well, men, maybe men, in this case, a lot of our value is this idea of family, that this is my family, I'm the whatever of this family, there's maybe some element of providing, maybe there's an idea of being a good dad, whatever else the case may be. Uh, and there's a lot, you know, there's a loss there. I, 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 and as I've written, men are not going to handle or be handling this, uh, as well, probably for the next hundred years. And we gotta, we, there's, it's going to be messy for a minute. Well now. <laughs> I don't feel like yeah. As evident by the response that you got by yeah. your article, yeah. um, as evident when I see some of my colleagues or even times that I've posted something where, um, it's really challenging these gender roles and what love is and just kind of the response that is received it's like who wait where is this coming mm -hmm. from you know it's a really interesting time and in, i think grief like what you spoke to i don't think we speak enough to how much grief shows up in relationships and yes this grief of oh what worked for our parents or our grandparents and i use again worked you know, in, yeah. in, in quotes, but like the, the template, this grief of letting go of that, this grief of that's, that's not working anymore. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. not working anymore. And just the way that grief shows up in our relationships where I'm not the same person I was at 20, yeah. you know? And so when that happens in relationships, couples will struggle with that. It's like, well, you're not the same person you used to be. Yeah, of course I'm not. <laughs> right, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, but this is, again, this speaks to this idea of like a, an evolving I, I understanding of love or how we might talk about a healthy relationship and that in each iteration of, I don't know, five, 10 years or something of our life, we're going to have to fall in love with each other again or find each other. And, and we yeah. hope, as you mentioned, that we're growing together, if not, you know, at different speeds, different ways, but that that's happening. We're not losing touch with each other. How successful and how, how much would you celebrate couples uh, in your community or elsewhere doing couples therapy, like stepping up, showing up to do the work? So I love when people do that and, and reminding people that you don't have to be in crisis no. to come to therapy, that especially couples therapy. Um, the idea that it can just be part of managing it, part of tuning it up. We don't wait till our cars break down to go get the oil changed or, you know, to do whatever it is that we need to do with it. Because, But we do that with our relationships. Yeah. And we so take them for granted and we get comfortable. That's part of what, you know, Esther Perel talks about this all the time. It's like we want to seek more of, of what we have when it's fresh and it's new and then it's just okay it just we kind of take for granted that it's there and it becomes the the bottom of the list especially when you have children but it's really about this ongoing nurturing and couples therapy can absolutely be that for you 
and and I think couples therapy, what it offers people, a lot of times people will come to me and they're like, well, we just want someone to kind of be that third person. And they really want a referee. Yeah, no one wants to do that. You don't want to do that, right? I don't want to do that. (laughs) Not a referee because a referee lets you beat each other up until somebody is knocked out. That is Mm -hmm. not what I'm going to do. I, I, I serve as a bridge. I serve to help, you know, bridge that gap and to offer you a different process, offer you a different process in order to have to work through conflict or to have the type of relationship you want. Maybe a process that is different than the ones your parents had or the ones that you've seen or the ones that you think work on TV. Um, like it's really a place, it's really about nurturing that container expanding that container of your relationship and you don't have to wait for things to explode to try and 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 come to couples therapy listen you're hearing truth here ladies and gentlemen and act on this you know so even if you're in a relatively good condition as a couple why don't you take the opportunity to jump into some couples therapy maybe it's not a long time maybe it's just brief a check-in whatever else it may be and it, it, particularly, I don't, at least I don't know if you agree with me on this, but a lot of times folks not having tried therapy at all, one partner, maybe the other partner has been in therapy for years, whatever the case may be, couples therapy could be a bridge, as you're talking about bridges, a bridge for that person to even be introduced to therapy at all. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, again, there's it's it's always funny to me when I'll have the couples who maybe they've gotten to the point where they do like a check-in like once a month and they are like, well, we didn't think we were going to have anything to talk about, but then this came up. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I think sometimes people shy away from therapy because they also shy away from conflict. Mm-hmm. And that then, you know, teaches us that conflict in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. a really healthy thing when, when you work through it in a way that you come on on the other side with a better understanding of one another. And I often tell people, I'm more worried about the couples who tell me they never have yes. a disagreement. They never argue because that tells me somebody is silencing them. So <laughs> <laughs> just not saying something. Yeah. Because what does the research tell us? 69% of topics like we're not going to see eye to eye on. Yeah. Yeah. Perpetual unresolvable issues. That's right. So we're going to have issues. That's okay. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. Let's not um, be celebrated. I don't want anyone to say at my funeral, he never complained. Let's put it that right. way. <laughs> That's right. They're definitely not going to say that at mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Complain often and do it gently. I think that's the, the message. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's part of what, is, you know, couples therapy can teach us. It's like, you don't have to avoid the conflict. You can actually go learn some skills on how to have the tough conversations, how to regulate what happens in your body when your partner upsets you. You know, I know I didn't learn those skills. (laughs) I learned what not to do. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, there is so much uh, that we need to learn from Lisa about loving each other in new ways. Now, Lisa, that's all the time we have for today. But if folks want to check out your work, where would you direct them to? So follow me on Instagram. I'm always on there providing content and it's at Elisa G. Bokeen. But go to my website, flowandeasehealing.com. If you live in Texas, uh, we can do therapy. I also offer coaching. I also have a podcast called the Chakra Sex and Relationships Podcast. And if you're looking for a therapist, 
or resources on mental health for the Black and uh, Latinx communities, visit melaninmentalhealth.com. Follow us on Instagram also. Amazing. Yeah, I'm at UCLA right now, and I've I saw uh, recently a, a lot of college campuses have your resource there for students to be able to to connect with. So that's that's really good news. Your melanin and mental health is out there, national. Uh, as always, ladies and gentlemen, we're so happy to have you here and so glad that you got to listen to Lisa today. Uh, you can find all our stuff at A Better Love Project on TikTok and elsewhere. And until next time, love each other fiercely and peace. <laughs>